This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 97. Oi! Don't be scared. All of this is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing uh, arachnids in the UK. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> Got a, a little arachnophobia there, Dom? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you a little more, more about that in a, in a few minutes. <laughs> Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So before we begin, as I always want to remind folks, remember to like uh, The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, on our Facebook page, uh, to retweet and share the podcast episodes as you see them show up on social media. Leave us comments. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in your favorite podcast app uh, or YouTube. And if you subscribe on YouTube, make sure you hit the bell to get notifications uh, that when a new episode drops. And to share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. We really do appreciate it. And especially if you can, if you get a little extra time, to go into one uh, one of the uh, uh, podcast directories and leave us a review, a nice five-star review is really helpful. It helps us uh, get into the algorithm and then the podcast directories, you know, show the podcast to more folks. And that's, that's what we're all about. We're trying to reach uh, people and reach out to people and be, have a, a fun conversation about Dr. Who. Uh, and I also want to remind you, as we did last week, uh, we mentioned, or a couple weeks ago, we mentioned the SQPN giving campaign uh, we are a nonprofit organization that depends entirely on the donations of people like you to continue to offer all of our podcasts, not just Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, creating all these podcasts is a full-time job for me. Uh, I, I do this uh, for a living, and I need to you know, keep my kids fed and clothed and a roof over their heads. And so uh, we rely on uh, good people like you who want to help us in our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through podcasts like Secrets of Doctor Who. If you go to sqpn.com slash give, you will see a button there to uh, go to Patreon to become a patron of the show. We have some nice gifts for you, especially a couple of Doctor Who related ones if you give at certain uh, giving levels. Uh, so if you could just check that out, go to sqpn.com slash give, uh, and we'd greatly appreciate it. So, uh, yeah. Creepy spiders. I I do not like spiders, guys. <laughs> I, in fact, <laughs> I had a friend um, to send me a message on Facebook, and she said, um, "I haven't watched it yet. On a scale of one to, I have to close my eyes and only listen to the episode. How bad is it?" And I said, "You know that meme of the little girl standing in front of the burning house, and it says, I saw spiders, so I had burned my house down.' Yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So." Uh, it's, I can imagine worse spider horror, but yes. but it is pretty creepy. Than this, was, this was pretty this, one was, a, this creepy. was creepy. This was a very creepy episode, and I, it, which was kind of in some ways was kind of fun because this is kind of getting back to the classic monster episodes yes. of Doctor Who. Doctor Who has a couple of different kinds of uh, episodes, and one of them is the 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 monster, the the scary monster sort behind of the couch monster <laughs> and i and yeah. i will i will say that the cgi of the spiders was pretty impressive in my opinion mm-hmm. i think they looked really realistic they did a good job on them yeah, yeah. they did they did um the, the uh what was going to say but the, the, there was a movie from the 90s i think or it might have been the 80s called arachnophobia which, mm-hmm. which yeah, as John an Goodman. as an arachnophobic i watched it <laughs> which oh. I, i'm not sure why <laughs> 
I, I'm gonna say it was peer Sometimes pressure. It's cathartic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it actually was a pretty good movie, but I, it, 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 that one, that one was worse than this one. But this was, oh, I just there were times when I did have to kind of turn away from the screen because I just didn't want to see all the creepy legs. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I, I guess I'm I may be on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of spiders i mean they're fine but um i've actually seen quite a quite a number of, of spider movies the the 1950s b movie classic the giant spider or oh, yeah. Earth versus the spider yeah yeah um the 1970s william shatner vehicle the uh the giant spider invasion um tarantula all those things i've i yeah. i i don't i haven't been unduly creeped out by them it's not so much spiders. Like I, in fact, if I have a spider in the house and if it's up in the corner, like a daddy long legs or something, and it's catching flies or mosquitoes or whatnot, I, I'm a, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. It's when they get more than a little, like more than an inch or so big and it's, hairy. <laughs> when you, when you see the ones from Australia where they're cover like half a wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, that know? was, that's what I was going to say. It was, uh, well, did this episode get filmed in Australia? Cause like there are, I saw some pictures online actually over this weekend from Australia of like a whole park covered in cobwebs. Um, mm -hmm. they, like, I mean, Australia, I, I love you folks, but I don't know if I'm ever going to visit because the whole country seems designed to kill you with, with the, your wildlife. And that's just kind of, <laughs> kind of not my thing, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's interesting. We had a comment, uh, the other day on Facebook from, uh, from Bennett Gillespie, one of our British friends who noted yeah. something similar about the United States. I mean, he recounted a story <laughs> where one day I came out of work and found a baby rattler. And my first thought was, um, uh, was there are women in this building who were wearing sandals. And so stomp, I took care of it. And then my second thought was, Hey, my chiropractor was right. I am left-footed. Because... <laughs> <laughs> and, and now you know why people wear cowboy boots in the Southwest too. That's yeah. the other thing. And here too. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So let's get into the, to the show itself. Um, we have a big guest star. That's actually one of the things that they kind of promoted before the season began was, oh, in one of the episodes, we have this big American star, Chris Noth, who has been in Law & Order. I think it was Law & Order, right? Mm -hmm. was he? Yes. One of the, the 25 seasons of Law & Order he was in. Yeah. Uh, several of them, in fact. And then uh, he was also in Sex and the City, the, the HBO series, which I, I yep. never saw, but mm -hmm. apparently he was big in that. Um, I haven't seen either of those, so I didn't know who he was. <laughs> I just, I just know that he was Mister Big in right. the uh, Law and Order, or not the Sex in the City. Yeah. Um, although he's not the only Law and Order alumni in this. Oh, really? Who um, else? Bradley Bradley Walsh Graham. Yeah, was hmm. on Law and Order UK. Oh hmm. right, I forgot that there. I, I I it was only for like that. four or five years. It didn't. It didn't have anywhere near the success the U.S. versions have had. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, he was he was in in that as well. So there are two Law and Order alumni in this episode. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's that must have been fun uh, for them to <laughs> to connect on that. Uh, exactly. So uh, let's let's kind of talk about the character that he played right up front. Um, yeah, Jack, we have some stuff we want to get out of the way here. Yeah, Jack Robertson. So he is very clearly a Donald Trump analog, and we we don't yeah. we don't want we don't want to talk politics on this podcast or any of our podcasts in general uh but, but when some, the show introduces politics yeah. we kind of got a comment on it yeah mm -hmm. and and so um you know robertson is very clearly he's a businessman who owns a hotel chains who has political aspirations to presidency who, who likes to say you're fired right who, yeah. yeah fires people to drop a hat and uh, so very clearly supposed to be a Trump analog, although in within the show, they say they say, oh, he hates Trump. And that's sort of the. Yeah. And I so I have I, I wanted to give them points for that um, because it's a little more creative than just making him a just a Trump cipher. He's just Trump with another name. The twist that he actually hates Trump and wants to win the pr American presidency from Trump is is creative. I like that. Yeah. That's good. But the thing is, they don't tell us that until 30 minutes into the episode. Yeah. So we're most of the way through before they get any kind of creative with this guy. For the first most of the episode, we're left thinking, oh, this is just meant to be Donald Trump with the name filed off. Right, right. It, like, and right, he's clearly, and he's, he's and clearly a better there. Haircut. 
Yeah, and he's clearly there to be mocked. He's presented initially as an extremely unsympathetic character. Over the course of time, I also want to give him props because they do uh, let him articulate a viewpoint, and it's not entirely unreasonable. Um, you know, things that he says just in, in – I mean, you can see he's not a purely evil man. He's, he's you know – trying to do good however flawed he is um yep. in on some level and also they give him some funny lines and yep. and that's good too so um so i want to give him props for the creativity for letting him articulate a reasonable viewpoint at times for giving him some good lines all of those things are good fundamentally though he's still there as a donald trump satire mm. and i have to ask myself um, you know, if I was a BBC producer, what do I care more about? Building audience, knowing that the show needs audience to survive or, you know, signaling my political views. And I think I would make different choices because it's an uh, it's it's not necessary to do this and risk alienating a good chunk of your potential audience. Right. Right. I agree. I mean, the the fact is, and you mentioned this earlier when we were having a discussion before the recording, Jimmy, which is since 2005, the the producers of Doctor Who, all three sets now, have mm -hmm. alternately uh, mocked American presidents or fawned or over, fond over them. Or fond over yeah. them. So they mocked George W. Bush, they fawned over Barack Obama, and now we have this mocking of some of, on some degree. I mean, it's very oh, clearly. It's it's mocking. It's and mocking. it's more it's more mocking than what they did with George W. Bush. That was just a single line. Right. And and this is putting him in the show. Right. Yeah. And and you know, it's just I, I have said in other venues and other places, I just am tired of everything being politics because yes, politics have right. become so angry and divisive and you can't have a conversation about it without people getting mad. And and I just I just would I just want to watch Doctor Who. I just yeah. want to have a, a fun adventure well, without politics. And that's, let's, let's, and that's let's my have... concern. And that's my concern because if, you know, I'm sorry, when I sit down and watch Doctor Who, I want to, I want to enjoy myself. I want to have fun. I want to, you know, laugh and be spooked out and scared and all this good stuff and be amazed. And right now, about the only way I can do that is go watch old Doctor Who. Yeah. Right. If we're going to keep this up. And there was old doctor. There was politics in in classic Who, but it was much more subtle. At least most of the time. Right. This it, the criticisms that some people have made that it's just getting unrelenting on this show seem to have some foundation to them. I mean, it's every episode this season so far. There has been some kind of of social political injection into the story. And, right. you know, and and as and I'm going to say this as an American, the fact that the, the two stories next to each other brings concern yeah, just because of how yeah. just how Americans are portrayed. And now the Rosa one, you can't prevent that. I mean, we, we, we argued about that one last week, but this one in you particular, you could modify it, you they could, could have modified it or moved it to a different point in the season. So it didn't look like it's just like one right after the other. Yeah. Right. Well, and even in Rosa, as as I said, you know, there were a lot of people, including in the South, who hated racism and we didn't mm -hmm. get any representation for those folks. Also, and, and that also, I think, played uh, negatively, had a negative role in how this episode and how Rosa came off to the British audience, because I was reading the BBC website. Some people online pointed out, you know, the positive reaction that that Rosa episode had in England. Fine. Well, okay, so I went to read the BBC's own article about it and they talk about how in 1950s America black people and white people were separated by law. Really in all of America in all 50 exactly. states. So they're right. miseducating the British audience about this was no, this was a local problem. This was not a national thing. And right. and and by right. not having uh, representation for Americans who hated racism, who who weren't the victims of it. Um, they miseducate the British public about the extent of racism in American culture at that time. Right. I was. I actually. I read a book um, last year uh, about camping, the history of camping in America. It's only semi-related. There was a, but there was a large section on segregation in camp, uh, national park campgrounds in the in the 30s and 40s and mm -hmm. it pointed out that, that 
there was there was not a done deal that things were segregated. There was a lot of pushback at the federal government level against people at at lower levels in 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 certain states against it. I mean, it was very clearly not you know just america was uh, racist and separate and so and i mean this is sort of uh, you know i don't want to get off onto a discussion of racism in america especially because that's not this episode um but it's clearly an offering an unnuanced view of of americans which is right as an american yeah. viewer i just I, I feel kind of attacked whether or not i i'm a trump supporter or not whether like i just feel like do we have to keep taking swipes at American culture, the, even the aspects you dislike and even maybe aspects that I dislike, but do we right. have to keep taking swipes at it? I mean, I have, I might have a crazy uncle, but I don't want necessarily want people outside the family constantly harping on, on how crazy that uncle is. You know what I mean? So, so that's, indeed. that's our, our viewpoint on that one. So, um, so we have one other kind of political issue that's going to be inevitable in this issue, in this episode, and that's the gun issue because they bring it up again, and the doctor has a really um, anti-gun perspective, and in in New Who, that's not unusual. Now, it's been pointed out the doctor has not had a problem with guns in the past and has used guns in the past. Yep. I I can I can I don't you know I, I don't mind them having the doctor take an anti-gun position because people change their opinions over the course of time. Certainly, if you've lived for 2000 years, you may find yourself on different sides of various issues. Well, so time war, time war and all that, too. You know, I mean, yeah. So so I don't I don't mind that in principle, but it, it gets taken to kind of an irrational extreme in this episode um, because we're talking about spiders and they don't yeah. do it. These are not intelligent spiders. They're not the Rachnos, you know, thank, thank <laughs> God. Um, I'm really glad they're not the Rachnos. I hated the Rachnos. That was uh, um, <laughs> Planet of the Spiders, the, 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 the no, third. No, 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 no. Uh, the Rachnos are oh. new who with the Christmas star. Episode. Oh, oh right, 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 right. So yes. With the woman, the dark sucking, ages sucking or whatever they called it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was a very and if I would have rather had the great one from Planet of the Spiders back. But <laughs> yeah. but these spiders are just normal spiders. They're just big. And it seems like the only reason the doctor cares about them is because they're big, which is would right. make it a clear case of sizeism. Um, yeah. You know, right. they, they're just normal spiders. And if you have a spider infestation, you call pest control and deal with exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I found myself thinking, what do the producers of Doctor Who have against the UK pest control industry? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because well, this, they're, uh, I, I feel like that the, the whole spider plot line, as far as that's concerned, fell flat. Because yeah. because, again, these weren't this wasn't, you know, the doctor was upset that these these spiders might be killed. But they're ordinary, plain spiders that just happen to live long enough to get to monstrous sizes. Right. Yeah, but they're still ordinary plain spiders. And right. and so then we have the two you know solutions that the episode gives us at the end spoiler warning um to the spider problem. First they lure all the smaller spiders into the panic room where they're going to lock them in there and starve or suffocate them to death. And those things, and they actually don't bring suffocation up. It's just starvation at that right. point because they've got food supplies in there. Presumably they'll eat through those. Well, these things are carnivorous predators. And after they finish the food supplies and they continue to get hungry, they're going to turn on each other. And yeah. this is not going to be a humane death. The humane death is called pest control and, and just gas them rather than let them eat each other alive. Right. Um, the And then we have the big mama spider that is suffocating. And so points for that there, you know, there are real problems with scaling up creatures that are not designed to be that big. You know, the classic 50 foot praying mantis would not work and and neither would a spider that big. So the mm -hmm. fact that giant spider is suffocating, fine, good, props for that. We can even feel sorry for the spider that it's suffocating. That's a horrible death. And precisely because it's a horrible death, what what's his name, Robertson? Robertson, yep. yeah. Robertson does is entirely reasonable. Now, in reality, 
shooting a spider with a gun of that a spider of that size with a gun is not going to kill it unless you hit the brain just dead on right yeah um because they don't have vulnerable areas the same way we do um but uh but is suppose he's a monster good shot he hits the brain he kills it it is indeed a mercy killing that's exactly what you'd want to do to an to an non-intelligent life form that is suffering a horrendous death right. like suffocation. Right. Haven't you, haven't the producers of the show ever seen old yeller? I mean, exactly. I, this is exactly what well, you do to a suffering animal. Right. If you have a deer on your lawn that is been hit by a car and is broken leg and is suffering, you don't, you know, you, you, you call animal control, they come out and they put it out of its misery. I mean, that's well, literally I mean, I mean, what it's called, putting it out of its misery. I was even just if, thinking a, a pet, a dog. Yeah, you know, right. someone has a dog that is, you know, 12, 13 years old and is suffering. And it's it, it's just it's having, you know, like my parents had this situation with their their black lab where she just couldn't get around anymore. Right. And she could either they could leave her to suffer or they could have her humanely put to sleep. Yeah. And in some places, you just take care of this yourself out in the country. And exactly. if you're in the city, maybe you take it to the vet and have it put down. But surely the people in England put their animals down. I've even heard that referred to on British television shows. So this is no different than that. Right. So it's not this isn't so much a, a, a British versus American approach to guns so much as it is just sort of a, a weird Super pacifism, uh, fetish, um, fetish, and uh, almost a PETA level uh, uh, concern for a creature that that you know, which doesn't take into account that maybe this is what's best for that creature. It, you know, I think forgetting the distinction between sentient people and a, a bug, which is what a big spider is. I'm sorry, it's a big scary killer spider. Shoot it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I have no problem with that. <laughs> you know, one one thing Even that was kind of interesting, suffocating. Right. Going going back to the issue of uh, the suffocating the spiders or the you know starving out the spiders in the the panic room. Why did the genetic engineer who worked with spiders not point out that was a bad idea? Well, right. So we could get into the the like uh, the the uh, the story itself because uh, there's a couple right. things I want to say about that as which, we get which, back which into it. Too. Right. Yeah. We do need yeah. to talk about it. But uh, we wanted to deal with the sort of the extreme anti-gun attitude of the doctor and the, the, the Trump analog up front. Get those out of the way um, and move on to the to the rest of the story, per se. Yeah. But because, yeah, there are a couple things to call out on that, Father Corey. Um, uh, so, so so let's go to the beginning of the story where yeah. they're traveling through the vortex. Well, and let's go even I, further back. OK, go because ahead. we have no teaser and no cold open. That was I thought was an interesting uh, choice because they they sometimes do. They sometimes don't. This one had mm -hmm. no teaser, no cold open, went right to the credits. Um, but the opening shot was the spider's eye view going through the hotel. Have you noticed that? Like the the different shots from the lower to the floor going through the hotel. And then we end up in the ballroom with uh, Robertson and. Oh, I hadn't people. noticed that they were, they were like ground level. Yeah. And I thought super creepy because, <laughs> because, mm -hmm. because it's one of those things where they don't reveal the spider until well into the episode. You don't yeah. see them until well. And in. That's, it's a classic. That's yeah. That's normal. Doctor who has lots of monster POV shots before the monster reveal. Yeah. Usually with, you know, like green or red around the edge of the screen and, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm uh, sorry, Jimmy, I, I did, I, I kind of preempted no, no, your, no. your uh, going through the vortex. Yeah. So they're flying through the vortex and they have new vortex special effects. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, the vortex yeah. has been depicted a number of ways on the show. And, you know, I kind of like this one. I like yeah, I've I, also mentioned I like the new opening credits. Yes. Yeah. I, well, I like too. they show the vortex where there's actually almost like a chamber where there's multiple passages to go through. Yeah. Right. It's not just a straight corridor. Um, I was kind of disappointed, though. They brought back the bouncy ride. Mm. They well, finally she, got that smoothed out, and now also now it's bouncing around well, time space again. She she actually makes a, a she has a line on that where she says, um, "I'm still getting used to the new controls and etc." So yeah, I, we, I think we can anticipate that kind of smoothing out because otherwise it's really tedious for the production to to do that every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's also they're they're as 
Chibnall has indicated he wants to hark back to the beginnings of Doctor Who, and that's real clear from the opening credits alone. Yeah. Um, right. But also they've introduced more of a um, more of the classic themes. I mean, this is this is more of a classic monster episode. Yep. Um, and we have the classic companion group like this is Ian and Barbara and Susan kind of. Yep. Again, and they do get back to Earth this time, but way sooner. And but we also have more of the Doctor isn't fully in control of where the TARDIS goes, right? And it, and so it's it's kind of brought back some of that unpredictability, right? Uh, I, I did like as after they land right outside of Yaz's uh, flat in in Sheffield. Um, there's sort of this awkward moment where they're leaving, and she doesn't really want to go, and. She wants them to ask her to stay. And, and you know, I kind of like this whole socially awkward phase of the doctor, which is it's sort of like Matt Smith's socially awkward doctor, except yeah. not as extreme like Matt Smith. Like most everything he did was over the top. Uh, she's kind of doing her own thing. But I like I've really come to like this doctor. I I, I really mm-hmm. I I like her patter. I like her her awkwardness. Um, so that's that's what I'm really happy with. I, I like Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. I think she's fine. I didn't like this moment where she's standing in the TARDIS door and being like really passive aggressive or something about, come yeah. on, just you want to stay, you want to hang with them? Just say so. Uh, I mean, they, and also I thought it was kind of at counter purposes to the way they've been billing the companions now as these are her new best friends. And she even is talking about them from the first episode on as her friends. But she doesn't treat them like friends. If people are really your friends, you don't just, well, I guess that's it. And oh, I'm going to be really sad here. And, and then I'm going to go. And this is not yeah. what you do with your friends. I know a few socially awkward introverts where this is a, a, entirely how they treat their friends. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. uh, call it out to you, Teresa, my sister-in-law. <laughs> oh, careful. No, she knows it. Edit that. She, no, she knows. She knows. I mean, she's very clearly she asks people to tell her when she's uh when she doesn't uh when she's being socially awkward. So uh no. and she'll love this actually scene when she watches it because this is entirely true to true to life for her. Um Well yeah. I'll, I'll leave that to your family. Um <laughs> Speaking of families, I did like the introduction of Yaz's family. Up to now, Yaz has kind of been along for the ride, but we didn't yes. know anything about her. She didn't yep. have a lot of character development. Now we finally get to see some of that. I liked that. I liked when we're in their apartment and the doctor is trying to make small talk and it's not working and she's just kind of rambling. And she actually sounds a good bit like on the dialogue level. I mean, it's obviously Jodie Whittaker's inflections, mm-hmm. but on the dialogue level, I could imagine that coming out of 11's mouth or right. even oh, absolutely mouth. yeah that was my thought yeah yeah uh, you know it, i'd be brilliant in a flat <laughs> a couch i could, I could sit on a, a couch a couch and sit on it yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then she asks, is that weird yes you're being weird right now <laughs> yeah. again more and by the way awkward. actually a point where he talks about you know, or she said i've never had a flat well yeah you did yeah you roomed, right roomed with the, the lodger with the roommate yeah. yeah oh right right that's right yeah. um the the one thing that uh, sort of uh, cliche was the the younger sister on the make. We we've seen that before. Um, you know the the younger sister who is like, oh, are are you dating him? Oh, then I'm going to go after him. Like this sort of like I don't know. It just seemed kind of cliched, like a trope. Um, mm. I, I, I you know I, we're there, I don't know there, how there often are, there are a lot of cliches in this family though. Yeah, you know I mean. The kind of weird the dad, dad. Who thought he could cook, but he really couldn't. And the yeah. mom who was being nosy about the relationship and everything. And, you know, that that that's a lot of cliches there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. W- what it did do, though, effectively with all three of the family members is give Yaz incentive to travel with the doctor. Yes. Right? Because all three <laughs> of the it's, it gives credibility to her line at the end that she loves her family, but they drive her crazy. Right. Yeah, I mean, they weren't they weren't unsympathetic. Right. They were just cliched. They, they were certainly less. um objectionable than say martha jones's family who, yeah or, who were or really bills bad. or bill's family right or lack thereof in some cases uh so um now graham meanwhile yeah has yeah. This, what this is that payoff we were talking about where's graham's grief uh well mm-hmm. here it is right in front of us um he projects and imagines conversations with grace um and you really see him 
in pain here. Mm-hmm. He's not weeping, but it's clear he's he's sad. He's processing all of this. I I loved getting to see him go home and and I loved getting, you know, I liked the fact that Ryan said, you want me to come with? And he says, no, I'd rather do this alone. That is that is authentic. Yeah. Um, after my wife died, there were times I could not wait to be alone. Um, just to deal with the situation. And, um, and when we get the visions of grace, it's like, I wanted to cheer. That was awesome. I I, I was so happy for Graham to have those, you know, even though they're imaginary to have those visions of grace as ways of bringing her into the present. And then the smelling the coats thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, that's people's odors do linger and you want to hang on to that. Smell is a very powerful emotion. That was very realistic too. All of that I thought was very well done. Well, and then, then the line at the, the end, the very end where he talks about how grief takes time and this helps. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sit around my house waiting for the grief to go away. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to be out there doing that. And when that sort of explains why when they were out there, he wasn't, you know, in, in his grief wasn't showing on his face all the time because he had stuff to keep him busy. So they didn't have to. Yeah, to, exactly. That, and there should be psychologically, realistically, there should be some heavy bounces for him in the future, because what happens is when you experience a huge tragedy like this, you can't face the full weight of it all at once. You have to distract right. yourself and l- let yourself feel it in little bits so that it's controllable, so that it doesn't just overwhelm you. Yeah. And then as you get a little more distance, you can allow yourself to feel more of of it and deal with it on a more long-term basis. Right. So uh, they they meanwhile uh, just happen to be a couple of doors down from Yaz's uh, family is this uh, neighbor who happens to work in the lab where the spiders uh, originate, as we come to find mm-hmm. out, who is dead. <laughs> just mm-hmm. clearly, yeah. let's get to that point, uh, because a spider uh, got into her apartment and killed her. And um, so that's this is our first glimpse of of one of the big spiders. And it's uh, he, the doctor has to figure out how to deal with it i like this idea of like the garlic and the vinegar you know that uh i'm I'm not sure that whether Mm -hmm. that's actually true or not maybe it is it probably is uh but i'm gonna file it away like that yeah and at the later on the end it's the was it tea tree oil and peppermint oil peppermint yeah yeah there are there are a bunch of recipe home recipes like that for dealing with ants and spiders and stuff and some of them actually may work (laughs) <laughs> well, there's yeah. a, uh, we'll talk about. Uh, I'll say something controversial. Oh, look, an actual use for essential oils. <laughs> but I'm bump. Uh, oh, <laughs> so um, then we go. We follow uh, this um, scientist who is the friend of the woman who died, who works in the lab, uh, who's actually making these spiders uh, to her lab, where she wh- immediately she says something about messing with the enzymes of spiders to make them live longer and grow bigger. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now well, we have I, thought, our I, thought it was, I thought it was interesting that they actually presented her as a protagonist. Right. Sympathetic. She was a, yeah. a sympathetic character that uh, which, you know, surprised me only because of the whole uproar with genetic modified organisms, GMOs, GMO right. food. And, you know, you would think that those who are doing this genetic engineering, which is what GMO is, would be presented on a negative light. But in this case, she's a, a very positive positively presented figure yeah a little oddly so um given the way the the shows normally present people in her line of work and what they then do sort of is shift the badness off onto the trump analog because you can see as soon as she says we we contract with a very reputable disposal firm well what multinational conglomerate in this episode is going to own that (laughs) exactly Um, And 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 but then they kind of pull it back a little bit, even though they're trying to make her sympathetic and Robertson unsympathetic. They they pull it back a little bit where she's like at one point blaming Robertson for the spiders. And it's like, hey, those weren't my spider carcasses. And it really is a, a, a a comedy of errors, if you want to put it that way, made do the resulted in the spiders due to errors on both sides their lab made a mistake in throwing out spiders or at least a spider that was not dead and his contractors 
made a mistake in how they processed this uh, refuse. And yeah. so um, so uh, I thought that was not kind of nice conceptually, even though they're making him more unsympathetic. I thought it was nice conceptually that the truth really here is in the middle. And they pointed out. I, I just I, I felt like it was at least for me that it was, was subtle that they put any blame on her. I mean, it was right. one line. They threw it out there and walked away from it. Right. There, there was, was, you know, most of the blame was right. It was squarely on, on, on Robertson, not on her. That's for sure. Uh, I did like the fact that we had a nice throw, throwback to the 80s, like mo- movies from the 80s. Toxic waste. <laughs> Remember that? Toxic waste mm-hmm. being the cause of mutations to create bad creatures. That's like 60s, genetic, 70s, genetic 80s. Engineer, genetic engineering plus toxic waste equals giant killer spiders. <laughs> that sounds like a 1980s, 1970s horror movie. I mean, just throw yeah. in some radioactivity and we've got uh, we've got the the the, uh, the whole thing. That would take it. That would take it back to the 50s. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so um, we, we have this moment where uh, Robertson encounters the giant spider coming through the hot tub in this bathroom um uh, as soon as he heard the noise in the tub i had this flashback from about a month ago uh we were on a family vacation to kentucky and we had uh we're in this co- uh, this cottage that we rented and, and I a hear giant a, spider came through your bathtub and had a scream from the bathroom the <laughs> yes there was a scream from the bathroom <laughs> i look in there and there was a well it may, it may not have been 10 feet across but it sure seemed like it at the time. <laughs> it was a really big Kentucky spider in that tub. And uh, I had to be the one to to, uh, to kill it. And boy, did I give it what for. Uh, so but as soon as he starts heading toward the tub, I'm like, get out, get out. Don't go toward <laughs> yep. the tub. Um, by, by the way, I thought the so I, I liked his line afterwards where the doctor, you know, waves the psychic paper in his face and, and face and says, I'm a disaster specialist or whatever. Right. And I need you to tell me in one line what just happened and he does a giant spider just smashed through my bathtub and killed my bodyguard kevin and, <laughs> and she gives him props for that it's, it's like, like that's okay pretty good. good that's what i needed um i i thought that the horror in the bathroom now it's despicable the way he locks kevin in the bathroom and right it looks it, that's meant to make him unsympathetic it initially looks like he's trying to kill kevin but he apparently they pull that back with dialogue to where he didn't think Kevin was going to die. It's like he was just getting away from the spider and expected Kevin to deal with it. Um, then, of course, Kevin is not able to. And having having Kevin wrapped in the silk and being drugged down the drain, it, the now enlarged drain, it, it was screaming and conscious. That was very effective. Oh, yeah. 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 That was extremely creepy. Burr. so uh, i thought it was there was a funny line robertson has uh when they when they try to get out of the hotel and the spiders have uh put these you know their webs across the um the door so they can't get out and robertson is still in denial he says spiders can't weave webs like that and i'm like spiders can't grow to 10 feet across either yeah exactly Exactly. um I, i i wish they had tested those uh those webs at the door because they didn't they just walked away from them they should have tested them and they should have found that they're super strong just like they had been saying earlier in the episode right that right. they can stop uh, a airliner flying through the air or whatever by the way i also wanted to mention with the bathroom scene i think there's a callback deliberately to a line from doctor who history uh john pertwee is famous for having said that um, it's not the monsters you encounter in outer space that are the scariest. It's the Yeti in your loo. And here <laughs> we have a giant fuzzy spider like a Yeti in your loo. <laughs> and it, it well, is indeed very scary. Speaking of uh, John Partway, then, I was kind of disappointed we didn't get any callback to the Planet of the Spiders episode, Partway's la- hmm. last, his regeneration episode, The Third Doctor. Which, that would have been nice. Yeah, I mean, the, in fact, uh, someone was saying it online that... Uh, when Planet of the Spiders was originally filmed, they had to kind of edit it to make it less scary mm-hmm. for the fuse of the time. I think it was our friend Bennett. Um, and he, he and, and it's like, I, it would have been nice to kind of have that callback that uh, just some reference to it. I, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I now that I've become uh, an aficionado of uh, the entirety of Doctor Who uh canon uh it, it's I, I there's always these links that you kind of wish they would make well it's and it, yeah. it's it's it is interesting because chris 
Chris Chibnall obviously wants to call back to classic who, but at the same time, he's trying to not call back to classic who, right. You know, he's just <laughs> he's, he's trying to do both. He's trying to do both at the same time. And it, it I, I mean, so he obviously he has to make decisions as far as that goes, but. By the way, um, we mentioned it, it came up last week, but uh, the title Arachnids in the UK. And so yeah. what have you mentioned that it was a reference to something else? Uh, well, kid- it sounds like it's a reference to Anarchy in the UK, which was um, a song and maybe album by the British punk band, the Sex Pistols. Oh, hmm. right, 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 right. Anarchy. I, I, yeah, I have it. I was kind of looking for that and i haven't seen any reference to it but that's got to be it i mean if if a listener has any more insight on on that with where they think that they, they might they might not have done anything within the episode itself right but uh sort of leaving that for the for the viewers to kind of figure yeah to get exactly so um why did graham and ryan have to go back and get a bigger spider because wasn't that one big enough? What was- I know. <laughs> it's uh, they already know there's one that's that's you know capable of dragging a man down a bathtub hole. Um, <laughs> right. it's, it, I don't think this one they've got is capable of it. They should know there's a bigger one out there. Okay, okay. And then um, yeah, that was just a plot hole. That was just to achieve companion separation. Right, yep. right. Uh, and get the little conversation between Graham and Ryan about Ryan's dad. Yeah, we, we which did was a, nice. Yeah, we did get a question. All, all, for, oh, go ahead. All, also, when they capture the first one in the in the in the crock pot or yes. whatever that is, uh, the soup soup pot or whatever. It's a stock uh, pot, but yes. I, I, I love the reverse angle shot we get with all of those spiders coming across the ceiling. Oh. That was great. Yeah. Love is I not sure the word I would have used. <laughs> I, I, I had to laugh, though, when you know, when they, they caught it in that pot. Yes. And mm-hmm. then slid the, the lid under. I actually had to do that about a week or so ago with a bat and a bat in my room. And I was able to <laughs> oh, wow. whack it down and capture it. Just, But I didn't have to use a soup pot. I could use a, a bucket. Bucket Father and Corey, a plate. Did you have bats in your belfry? <laughs> oh, I've always got bats in my belfry. This time it was in my bedroom. Okay. And unlike most people, being a priest, he, he's likely to actually have a belfry. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of our listeners, uh, Rick Angel- uh, Angelini, asked on our uh, Facebook page, uh, why was Yaz's father bringing home garbage? Where did it come from? Uh, and it, it, that went fast. So it's it's, yeah. it's I can see how you miss it. They do deal with it when they're standing on the edge of that toxic waste dump underneath the hotel, uh, saying that that's where the dad was getting that it was bubbling up somehow. Or- yeah, it was showing up at their apartment building and he brought it inside because he thought it was part of some conspiracy. He wanted to doc- keep it as evidence of someone illegally dumping this stuff at right. their apartment building. Right. right. <clears throat> and apparently was coming up through whatever sa- channel um, the, uh, the the spider spikes. that killed the neighbor did. Yeah. And uh, the, the the Yaz's mom makes a, uh, a remark. Uh, My husband is right about this conspiracy. And I hate when he's right about these things. <laughs> yeah. How dare you make him line. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so she I, got some good lines. I, I, at one point uh, when they're heading into the, the restricted area under the hotel and uh, uh, Robertson stops her. She says, you're not the boss of me anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he's not. I, I also loved how the doctor keeps referring to her as Yaz's mom, even though she's said her name several times in front of her. Yaz's mom. What do you think about this? Well, it's so funny because it's like what you do when you're a kid and you have your your friend's mom, like you you refer to them as, you know, Billy's mom. What do you do? What do you think? Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. One thing I I do want to jump back to just really, really quickly talk about that conversation between Graham and Ryan is I think they pretty well set up, made it clear that at some point this season we will meet Ryan's dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Because they talked have... about how the letter was how he wanted to get back into Ryan's life. Right. There was a moment where uh, Graham gives a letter to, to Ryan that the dad had left at the apartment or at the house. Right. And Ryan then said he did read it. And the dad was. Uh, yeah, they showed him reading it in the kitchen there. It's, yeah. It was kind of brief where, it you know, it cut, went into the kitchen. You can see him closing the letter and putting it back in his pocket. Right. So, mm-hmm. the, yes, very clearly we're going to see Ryan's dad at some point this uh, season. 
One uh, thing I had in my notes of that's kind of in this part of the episode, it's a little earlier, but when the uh, female assistant gets killed yep. in the down below area, yep. we she drops her phone that she's apparently been filming with. And we get this shot of her phone laying on the ground. And I it it, I, it, it struck me that that's a really cool shot. You know, as she's being eaten off camera or whatever, yep. not eaten, but injected with spider toxin and then, you know, wrapped up, trellised up. Turned yeah. into Frodo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as that's happening and we hear her crying out and we get the shot of this phone laying there, um, it's it's reminiscent of shots that you would have had in other other movies and TV shows up to now where, like, you see the horror dimly reflected in a mirror or something and here we have a mobile phone playing that role and i just thought that's a neat little technological advance on a previous visual trope in this kind of story they did show like there was several times where they had someone had their phone and had and it dropped and broke uh in the midst of an attack Uh, robertson Mm -hmm. had the same thing happen and i I, i was trying to figure out what what like what they were trying to do with that. I mean, the, the fact is, is, I mean, she's been, she's filming this, but they never did anything with the footage of her. They didn't pick it up and say, look, we have evidence of your misdeeds or. Yeah. They didn't mention the that. phone at all after that. Yeah. Sort of a little bit of Chekhov's gun going. Not the, going the off. weird, the weirder one I thought was, was Robertson's phone because they make a point of showing him setting it down. And then he goes, Oh, my phone. And when he's, when it's, right. when he's separated from it and then, Kevin grabs it and then Kevin drops it on the floor and it's like, what's the big deal with this phone? The other lady I can understand, you right. know, when she's taking footage, it's to document stuff for the future, whether they use it or not. There's a reason for that. But why are the filmmakers so interested in Robertson's phone? I suppose it means that he's now isolated from his vast coterie of people, his his multinational hmm. uh, you can't, corporation. You can't call in help or anything like that. Right. He's, hmm. I mean, like, I would assume he's like a SWAT team of mercenaries at the beck and call or some silly thing uh that he's okay. now reliant on the doctor i suppose okay uh, one of the things so they you know we talked about they they the solution was to get all of the spiders into the panic room because they like rap music and um or something but how can they be sure they got all the spiders in there like including yeah, the ones that were out hunting in the city yeah <laughs> this is this is just move along just trust us it, it worked <laughs> yes it's it's a doctor yeah, it's, it's, it's good old hand wave them you know we're just going to kind of wave our hand and you know these aren't the spiders you're looking for oh wait that's a different <laughs> different <laughs> thing uh so, um and i, I kind of mentioned it briefly but it's why didn't this person who's supposedly a spider expert not say you know if you lock them into this little room they're just going to eat each other and the one who survives yeah. is going to be the biggest nastiest one yeah. <laughs> right and then he'll then he he'll, or she will will have grown die. right and then it will die i suppose i do not want to be the the people t- sent in to clean that up An- uh, another <laughs> bit of illogic here is after robertson shoots the big spider he yep. says this is exactly what the world needs right now this is what's going to get me into the white house and i don't <laughs> understand either one of those statements how is <laughs> How is this what the world needs? The world I mean, needs that doesn't make the, that the, doesn't make <laughs> sense. I mean, you this spider invasion is self-limiting because they grow so big and then they suffocate. The world needs and, a guy who's willing to go out and stomp the big spiders. Well, they don't say it that way. <laughs> they, they, it's they, ridiculous. They, it's ridiculous. But I'm just kind of yeah, calling it talking about it takes action. I don't know. <laughs> And and then it's like, how is this going to get you into the White House? If anybody comes to know about this, it's just going to be another scandal of your company doing an inadequate job and almost causing a spider invasion that has yep. killed several people and right. could have killed a lot more. And you had to get bailed out by these uh, other people. And then you did a mercy killing on the giant spider that your toxic waste created. And <laughs> that's going to put you in the White House. Yeah, that didn't make much sense. I, uh, by the way, I did like where he kept going. Who are you people? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And why is she in charge? Or who says she's in charge? We do. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Those were some couple of good moments. But yeah, you're right, yeah. Jimmy. They, they, that didn't make sense. That line. And and that's sort of his exit from the show, which is interesting for a couple of reasons, because under the normal laws of drama that would govern a television episode like this, given what they've established about Robertson, he should either be killed or humiliated by the end of the episode yeah, or arrested right. or something. along or, those lines. Yeah. yeah. 
And well, ni- neither of those happens. And that well, makes you wonder, is he going to be back in the future? Well, and that's, so, the, the, that's something that's kind of interesting. I've been noticing is there's less and less consequences for actions that the doctor disapproves of. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, um, so it, it's interesting that there, there, you, know, you don't have the um, my, my initial thought was uh, David Tennant's post-regeneration Christmas episode where, you know, I can ruin your your life at five words. Six. Six, six, you know, <laughs> you know, and it, that whole thing of, of uh, that where the doctor was so all powerful that just whispering that, boy, doesn't she look tired? Right. was enough to, to completely ruin Harriet's life, right. you know? Right. That's true. Yeah. Like the, the, I mean, it does mean the doctor does, isn't bestride the world uh, dictating who rules and who doesn't, who survives and doesn't. I mean, it, 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 it makes her smaller again. And that's, and we've that's been talking, good. That's good. good yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it makes me wonder. And so we had in episode one, we had Tim Shaw, who's who we have indications he's going to be back in episode two Ghost Monument. There's no particular need for anybody to come back in the future, although they could. In in Rosa, we have future racist boy um, who could come back in this episode. We have. Robertson, who, given his lack of closure, since he was neither killed or humiliated in some way, he could come back to oh. be either be killed or humiliated. I'm wondering if we're building. I'm not half only half seriously. I'm, I'm wondering if we're building to a season finale that's going to like have Tim Shaw, racist boy, and Robertson all <laughs> in the same episode. Well. I mean, I'd be surprised if Cresco come back, can come back since Ryan says I send him as far back as as I could send him, um, and he doesn't have the 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 time displacement device anymore. So yep. it could also be since we're no longer, at least this season, uh, using recurring villains of any uh, the, from classic who or or any season of who prior to this, put it that way, that we're building a new pantheon of villains that maybe we're going to rely on. Could be, but I, I see your point. I mean, Robertson. Could certainly come back um, and, get, and and do some more damage. Uh, yeah. So you know, now that we've 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 wrapped up things nicely uh, in the usual amount of time that it takes to uh, deal with these sorts of disasters, and uh, the doctor now has to be faced with this departure again, and then independently, each of the companions shows up at the TARDIS and kind of makes it clear that they they'd like to go. And we talked earlier about Graham saying he wants to go because. Um, He's he's he, grieving. He's grieving and doesn't want to have to sit around by himself dealing with that, because uh, presumably I think he's he said he was retired. He's a retired bus driver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Ryan has a has a silly you know warehouse job that he doesn't want to do. But I'm, I, I think that's rationalization. He really doesn't want to deal with his dad. That's probably exactly part of it too. But now I'm, I'm thinking though, like I know Yaz kind of wants to get away from her family, but wasn't she that go getter rookie cop like? Is she not throwing yeah, they, her no career talking. away? Yeah, I, I, I could have, if I was a go-getter rookie cop, I could still say, let's take a couple of years right here and see the universe and come back before work tomorrow. I I suppose. I mean, that's, yeah, of course. What, what, what I liked was having the companions be the one to ask right. this time instead of the yep. doctor. That was nice. Um, I, I also thought it was nice that the doctor warns them. And actually, I think it was foreshadowing. The doctor warns them up front. I can't guarantee you're going to be safe. And then she tells them, be sure all of you. And I strongly suspect uh, now the, the, the comfortable way of thinking about that is she's remembering what happened to Bill, her immediate previous Mm -hmm. command. Right. Because as far as she knows, Bill ended up as a Cyberman and that was it. She doesn't know about the uh, other stuff that happened with Bill unless uh, – did she learn about that definitively in the Christmas special? Twice. She twice might have. Time. Maybe. I think but, might have. But, yeah, I can't remember. But, but even so, Bill didn't – Bill's life path did not go the way that was planned. Right. And she did become a Cyberman. Well, and, and Clara. <laughs> and Amy. Yeah, well, and, and – and, Pretty bad track but, record there. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you know, the comfortable way is to think she's just thinking back to previous companions. But I'm thinking, you know, okay, we haven't had a real solid companion death that didn't get reeled back by Stephen Moffat in some time. <laughs> right. And um, and I'm wondering if if one of our three best new friends is not going to make it out of the season alive. We could start taking mm-hmm. uh, bets on uh, who we think it's going to be, but maybe not now. Um, yeah. Well, she does also say. And you won't come back the same as you are. Uh, and mm. that's certainly yes. true. We've seen companions are changed by their experiences. Uh, we, we saw that with Donna, mm. uh, for instance, mm-hmm. yeah. Donna Noble. But, not, the, but the, now they're Team Tardis. Right, and Team Tardis. <laughs> I like the ambivalence. We can accept that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. We'll do also, I thought, I thought the music in that scene was really nice. It was very emotionally effective. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it for for arachnids in the UK, right? Uh, or was yep. there anything else? Um, there was just one one little thing when they were in the uh, laboratory, you know, all this exposition, what's going on. Ryan's in the back there at the projector doing shadow figures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I missed that. that. Hilarious. <laughs> it's like, can you, are you going to pay that off or is that just a lanyap in the background? <laughs> I think that's, that's what that's that is. That's just something in the background to show that he's not paying attention to what's going on. He's just kind of off in his own little world playing with the projector. I wonder if that's just something the actor decided to throw in. They kept it in. That would be fun. There, there were a number of interesting things that went by really fast like that on the visual level. Like at one point in that lab, the doctor is looking into one of the displays and it shows a big white spider on her face, a projection yep. of a spider over her face oh, for right. just a half a second. <laughs> so, um, so I do want to get to feedback. Uh, we have uh, some feedback on our uh, episode. We're discussing uh, Rosa. Um, yeah. Our, our friend Amy Flowers, who we've heard from a number of times, said that uh, – at first, I was disappointed the villain was so flat in one note, uh, Cresco. But mm-hmm. the more I thought about it, the more it made sense in the story. And Jimmy described it perfectly at, at the end. This is a real person in history whose real-life heroism should not have been cheapened by a sci-fi trope for entertainment. The writers did the best thing they could have done. Have the villain try to sabotage history, and the Doctor and companions take steps to assure it takes place as it should. It worked for me, and I liked the complexities the episode presented, even if it missed a few in its setting. Um and then she also said that she likes the fact that the doctor doesn't magically know everything. Um, yeah. Has to work out, you know, the answers for herself. So. Um, yeah, I don't mind the doctor being really smart. I do mind the doctor being omniscient. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and then um, Michael uh, Monley, also on our Facebook page, says, uh, the problem I have with this episode is that since the villain can't kill her, why didn't he just send Rosa Parks into the future or past when he first met her? Yeah. <laughs> how about that one? That's a little hole. Yeah. It's <laughs> a little hole in the plot. Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, Chloe. Yeah, that's a pretty major one. actually. <laughs> Being yes. sarcastic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Chloe Stewart Monteith says um, a, a one of our uh, British listeners, the Doctor Who episode was for UK Black History Month. So that's sort of why we have it when it is. Um, oh, OK. And Fair she enough. says that's February in America. Right. And uh, she's, uh, she says, we do learn about Rosa uh, Parks for our GSCE's world history exams. Um, however, Bennett Gillespie, who we've we, uh, one of our uh, frequent regulars, uh, regulars says um, for him. Uh, so in his family, uh, two 50 year olds, an 18 year old and a 13 year old. None of us were taught about Rosa in school. And he admits it's hmm. not a representative sample by any measure. And of course, Different schools can focus on different things, and, and yeah, right. So that's that. That's you know, everyone has a, had that experience. Yeah, Yaz even said it as if this was what my school did. Like she needed to tell other people about something that not every school does. Of course, right. Um, he said, "I would suggest that the good attention the episode is drawn in the UK might be an indication the history wasn't well known." Which, which is yeah, and 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 then he linked that BBC article, which was the one I mentioned earlier, where they're mm-hmm. portraying it's like all of America was this way. And it's like no, not all of America was this way. Don't think that, right? <laughs> right. right exactly. Well, and and I can understand why perhaps schools in Great Britain don't talk about um, Rosa Parks. I mean, to be the same thing as talking about how did you know, there was I don't know if there was segregation per se, but there was definitely you know. People who were of African descent were treated poorly in, in in the UK in the past, and they don't really talk about here about how that happened, how they overcame that. 
there. They don't talk about how they overcame it, but they do talk about that, that both Ryan and Yaz have to deal with uh, discrimination right. and prejudice against them. So, yeah, the, they're focused on American. An example would be here in America schools, they don't talk about Isaac Watts. Um, right. Isaac Watts, you know, the author of um, Amazing Grace, um, had been a, a slave trader, if I recall correctly, and then had a religious right. awakening. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's right. That was a movie actually about that. I forget what it was called, mm -hmm. but uh, there was a movie. <laughs> the movie called Amazing Grace. Hey, maybe that would be why it's called Amazing Grace. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's me, Mr. Obvious. Uh, so that's our feedback for this week. Uh, like, as always, we love to hear from from the listeners. Uh, so if you have some uh, insight or reaction uh, of, of any sort to what we have to say or our discussion or to the episode itself, please uh, let us know. Um, what do you think of Arachnids in the UK? Personally, I hate them, but what do you think? Maybe you <laughs> love spiders. Uh, so let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback on the episode uh, link there or send us an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to all our personal social media and our websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. I'll also put a link to that BBC News article so you, you can read that for yourself. Uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing, oh, this word I'm going to have to figure out how to pronounce. Hopefully they'll mention it. Suranga. <laughs> Suranga conundrum, uh, which sounds like a Big Bang Theory episode title, but I, I think I said that before. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And once again, I am Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, run now, ask questions later. Right. This is going to be fun. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.